0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. It's a beautiful day in May in our beautiful home in McKinney, Texas, and we're holding church service like we do every Sunday here. It's a pleasure for me to be standing up here and discussing the word of the word of the Lord with you guys and, and showing you what the Lord has shown me this week. Uh, it's an interesting sermon this week. I just want to get right into it after our word of prayer and, and uh, see so if you guys want to join me. And we'll get started, and then I'll get to all the math the, the chapters and verses and all that stuff and my words from last week. So join me, please, in a word of prayer. Thank you so much, dear God, for this day. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this message. And thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. God, Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, it's a light unto our path. Lord, we we would not know the way unto salvation, Lord. We would not know the way to please you, Lord. We would not know who you even were, Lord, if it weren't. For your holy word so lord thank you lord god that you have given us your holy word to just give us revelation to show us light to show us who you are to show us how much you love and i'm just so thankful lord god that you've called me to teach your word and and you've called my faithful followers to come and follow me lord and and this venture this little house church in mckinney texas lord i, I thank you so much lord god for all that you do for us and lord to I just pray that each one of us would be seeking your face, Lord, today to see what we could do for you, Lord. Not to be saved, Lord, but because we love you and we're just thankful for your salvation to us, Lord. So anyway, Lord, I just pray that you bless this message, bless this time together, Lord, bless my mouth. Lord, help me to speak clearly so that everyone that listens to this message may understand what you want from them and what you're trying to say. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us think clearly, Lord, help us think about what you know what you're really saying help us to think and know clearly what you're saying to us we love you and we praise you and we ask all these things in the mighty name of jesus christ amen so our chapter and verses we're going to be in today is matthew chapter 24 verses 36 through 44 i'll read them after my thoughts from last week's message when will jesus christ really come back again that's matthew chapter 24 Verses 36 through 44. But now, my thoughts. After teaching last week's message, I thought about it as I was teaching and as I was setting it up. And it didn't, you know, it didn't apply then to a great extent, even though I mentioned it once. But there's one big thing that I want to make crystal clear when it comes to talking about the subject of when will Jesus Christ really return. What is this big thing? No, I would say, what is this huge thing that I want to make crystal crystal clear when talking about the topic of when will Jesus Christ really return? I am not going to get into setting a date as to when exactly Jesus will return. And I would encourage you to not to do that as well. What do I mean? I'm going to give an example. Uh, Jesus Christ is coming back on such and such a date at such and such a time. I won't even give an example as to an exact date and an exact time when I'm trying to t- give you an example, just because I would never want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying or, or take a soundbite and say, oh, Pastor Ed Spagnoli said that Jesus was coming back on such and such and such and such. No, sir. No, ma'am. I will not get into, nor will I tell you that you should ever pick a date or a time when the Son of Man shall return. And why do I say this? Why will I not give a date? Why will I not give an exact time? Because it's heresy. What is heresy? Heresy uh, is a belief or opinion that does not agree with the official belief or opinion of a particular religion And why is setting a date an exact time of Christ's return heresy when it comes to Christianity or heresy or against or a, an opinion uh, or against an opinion of the Christian faith? look at verse 36 of our message today of our scripture we're going to read today. Jesus says, these are the red letters in my red letter, New King James Version Bible. But of that day, Jesus says, an hour, no one. So that would be no created being, whether angel or person. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven. But only my father, or but, but my father only. So Jesus just said there, period, point blank, nobody. But my Father in heaven knows the day, nor the time, nor the hour that I will return. Not the angels of heaven that are around my Father. You would think they might know. I mean, after all, they see God's face every day, right? No, not them, Jesus says. You might think that some of the greatest men in you know on the earth who really love God, and they see God's face every day, well, maybe, maybe God would have revealed it to them. Because, you know, after all, I mean, they're, Great men of God, and Billy Grahams, and oh my gosh, you know. Nope. Jesus said, not them either. Nobody, nor angel of heaven, nor fallen angel, nor Satan, no person, shall know that day, nor that time, nor that hour only, God the Father in heaven. And if he said it, and the Bible says that he was God literally in the flesh, that no created being or person or period, the end would know, then, period, the end, nobody, nor angel, nor fallen angel, nor man, will know when Jesus Christ is coming back. So again, any kind of date setting of the exact time or date or hour or whatever that Jesus is going to return is heresy. No date setting, date setting in Christianity for Christ to come back a second coming is not allowed, according to Jesus. It's heresy. But it's funny to me, because we talked about it a few messages back, sometime here back a little bit ago, about all these people that set these false dates of Christ back in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s. These people, oh, Jesus is going to come back and such and such and such and such. C.T. Russell said in the late 1800s, Jesus Christ is coming back. He didn't come back. And his predecessor, Rutherford, I believe his name was, he gave dates when Jesus was going to come back. And Jesus didn't come back. Yet, these folks all have myriads of followers, or myriads, however you want to say it, however you want to pronounce it, Myriads of followers who believe that their faith is right, yet they proclaim false dates that Christ is going to come back, and they have multitudes upon multitudes of followers. How sad is that? When all the people had to do that believe in these false religions is read their Bibles, and they would have just read here that Jesus says, nobody knows, nobody's ever going to know, only my Father in heaven. And they would have not followed the religion, knowing that that's, well, that's a false date setter. He's a false prophet, because he gave a false date, and Jesus said no one would know. But they don't, because they wanted to heap up for themselves, teachers, because they have itching ears. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. Also, funny enough, on this little subject of, you know, what date and time he will come back exactly, uh, funny enough, proponents for the pre-trib rapture, which we talked about last week, pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, say that this point of that no one knows the time that Jesus is going to come back is exactly why a post-trib rapture is not biblical. Actually, that's what they say. You may say, why? Well, they say, well, we know that the Antichrist is going to reign seven years exactly. Okay? And... All we have to do then, if a post-trib rapture was really—why but we don't believe it's biblical—is because all we have to do is count back or count ahead. Once we know it's him, and once we know that it's—he's he's the one. He's going to reign seven years. We just count ahead seven years, and we'll know that that's the—you know—that he's the real one. And then we know from that time forward that Jesus Christ is going to come back on that day. You know, or during that, you know, at that time, because that's he's only supposed to reign for seven years. And we know that the Bible says that Jesus Christ's return is a is secret, it's unexpected, right? No man knows the day, nor the time, nor the hour. So, therefore, because we don't, Jesus says no man knows, but we know that seven years there, and we know Jesus Christ is going to come after that, then the post trib rapture cannot be. Well, Unfortunately, said to say, if we look at uh, Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse twenty-nine, Jesus says, "Immediately after the tribulation of those days, so speaking about immediately after the seven years of the reign of the antichrist, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, nor the stars, and and, its, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken." So, if you read that verse, you'll know that right after the seven years that the antichrist reigns. Jesus said all creation's going to fall apart, not immediately after those days the Son of Man is returning. He did not say that the exact day, minute, second, and millisecond that the Antichrist is reigning, his seven years, that he would come back. Instead, he he said that all creation was going to fall apart as the seven years of the Antichrist ran its full course. And then he says in verse 30 of that same chapter, he tells us that during this time of creation falling apart, then we would see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. So he didn't even tell us how long creation was going to start to fall apart after the Antichrist reigned seven years. So there's no way, even in a post-trip rapture, Even to exactly know the day, nor the time, nor the hour that Christ is going to return. You know, it's my uh, belief, and I see it in the Bible, I see it in my life, that when God says something, it is. Well, Jesus is God in the flesh. When Jesus says something, it is. And Jesus said, No created being, angels in heaven, devils fallen angels people mankind the most godly people that no created being would know what time he's coming back uh, therefore period the end nobody is gonna know and what he says goes is well too all right praise god let's get to our sermon for today which is really just an extension from my thoughts from last week because they kind of go together it really just flows together our last week's Message in the last week's thrust, and, and this week's you know, no man knows the day, or the time, or the hour. So let's get into this week's message. Our title for today's message is His Return Will Be Unexpected. Will you be ready? His return will be unexpected. Will you be ready? Matthew chapter 24, verses 36. 44 and i'm going to read them over and then we'll get going verse 36 we already read it but we'll read it again but at that day and hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven but my father only speaking of his return but as the days of noah were so also will be the coming of the son of man for as in the days before the flood They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, he says. Highlight that if you want to in your Bibles. Watch therefore, For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready. There's another one, you can highlight that one too. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Title again, maybe you saw it, because I God gives me titles, but he gives them to me right out of usually the text that we're studying. His return will be unexpected. Will you be ready? It's right there, all there. So Jesus starts off there in verse 36, telling them exactly what we just talked about. You know, uh, the Son of Man's coming, but of that day and hour and time, no man, no created being, whether angel, demon closest person to God they're gonna they're not gonna know but he does this he makes this statement right after if you remember back our chapters that we studied before this or our chapter of Matthew chapter 24 that we studied before this he says this right after he had given them so many clues as to when the day he'd come back would be because you think about it, he gave all these different things that he said I'm coming, or I'll be coming back, and the end days will be like this, and they'll be like this, and watch out for this, and false prophets are going to come. This, and you know, those that endure to the end should be saved. And he gives all these, you know, the, the the lawlessness will abound, and the love of many will grow cold. He gives all these different, like, clues as to when you knew that day was coming, but yet then he tells us, but no man knows the exact time nor date, nor hour that I'm coming. So why? Why would Jesus give us the signs of the ends of the age and his return then tell us that no created being would know the exact time of his coming? Well, there, I believe, because there's no way to know, because God didn't tell us here, but just knowing you know, the way the Lord works and just knowing people. God's given me the ability to, like, know people. Like, I'm a people watcher, and I like to watch how people act, and I like to watch how people react and how they move. And I kind of, God's given me an interesting ability to kind of, you know, counsel people. So I know how kind of people think. So knowing people, I believe Jesus told them this and us this because it's really easy for us as human beings, right, to start guessing at the answer to the clue, once you've been given a lot of details to the clue, right? I mean, isn't that what we do when we watch those shows, those those mysteries on TV, you know? Oh, who's the killer gonna be? Oh, and you know, you see all the clues, you know, and then you try to make those guesses, right? Oh, I, I, I think it's gonna be uh, uh, so-and-so, or oh, I, I think it's gonna be so-and-so, but we don't really know. We just kinda start making those guesses after we're given a lot of details and we're given a lot of clues about who the murderer may be. And in this case with this particular topic, God says here, Jesus says here that God's keeping this knowledge to himself. And, he, and he's saying here that no one can know the exact time date of Christ's return except for him. So why does God want to keep this knowledge of when Jesus Christ returns to himself? Because he does, and he doesn't want us guessing, and he doesn't want us date setting, he doesn't want us doing any of that, so why does God want to keep this knowledge of when Jesus Christ returns to himself? Nobody knows for sure, again, it's something we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us, right? But I think I have a pretty good idea. You see, if Jesus would have said, yeah, you'll you'll figure it out, or you know, God will reveal it to you, I think... That it's dangerous. I think, in fact, if Jesus would have said, I'm coming back on this date, at this hour, at this time, during this year, I think it would have been, and it would be still, and I think it would have been for them, dangerous for us to know those details. Think about how dangerous it would have been. For instance, the Bible really says that God just wants his children to occupy. Meaning... He wants us to maintain what we do, what we're called to do for him until he comes to get us or until we die, right? So that's what God's word says, okay? So if we're supposed to be living that way, if Jesus would have said, I'm coming back on such and such and such and such a date at this time and this hour, what would the disciples have then did? What, what, let's say Jesus wouldn't have had his coming until 2010 55, and they were back in, you know, uh, you know, 33 or 31 or 32 A.D. Well, now, if they're supposed to occupy, but they don't believe that Jesus now is coming back for over 2,000 years, what kind of lifestyle could they get easy into living? Oh, well, you know, Jesus ain't coming back for almost 2,000 years. I don't, you know, hey, there's so much time you know, God's good, and you know, you know, I we don't have to work that hard, or oh, we you know, we can we can kind of chill out. It there's no rush to get people saved. There's no there's no urgency in in promoting the gospel. There's no urgency because you know I mean, After all, in two thousand years, we won't even be alive. Ha! Huh. Fooey Things cannot not come back till to two thousand whatever, and it's only thirty three A.D. So. It would have caused them not to occupy, but to really get lax. Really would have caused them to just be lazy and did not have any kind of, you know, real urgency about doing what God told them to do. Because, hey, if God's not coming back until way after I'm dead, then, hey, I just... Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm good. It's not going to be in my lifetime. There was a king in the Old Testament that said that. God said, oh, this is going to happen, and you're going to live to here, and then this is what's going to happen after. And the king says, oh, well, that's good. Hey, I, it's not going to be in my time, so I don't really, you know, I'm good. I, I'm going to live out my life in peace. Oh, well, that's that's good for me. All right? And that's what they could have said. Oh, well, since it's not going to be, oh, you know, it's good for me. Hey, I'm He's not coming back in my lifetime. I can relax. But then... As the time got closer, right, to that date that Jesus may have said or God may have really told people a certain day, what about those people getting closer to that date? Well, those people getting closer, then all of a sudden, there wouldn't be just urgency, Christians and people. There wouldn't be just urgency. That would be all we would be focusing on. Let's say it was uh, 2035. Well, let's say somebody was born in 2020, and in 2030, they're 10 years old, and they know, hey, it's only five years away. Oh, you know, I don't want my life's over. The world's ending in five years. Oh, well, you know, I, there's nothing I can do. It's a five years. Why do I live? There's no future. I have no future, so I'll just forget it. I'm just going to, I might as well just... Chill out and collect welfare and just relax and you know not do anything because you know I don't got a life I can't I'm not going to retire, you know I'm, I'm done, and that would all not fulfill God's plan of us living right before Him and in an urgency to get people saved and in an urgency to sh- to sp- you know to spread the gospel and in an urgency to do what He called us to do because. If we knew that date or that time and that hour, we'd either be super lazy or we'd be totally consumed because that's when we'd know and, and we, would not, you know, we would not take care of ourselves. We, hey, I, I don't have to live. Huh? I'm never going to retire, so I don't have to save any money. Hey, you know what? I don't even have to work. So I believe that God did not tell us that date purposely because he knew that if he set that date and he told us that exact date, which I'm not doubting that there is a date that he knows, because Jesus said only my father knows, but that nobody knows because it's dangerous for us to know that day. And there's lots of other things that we could talk about about that, but just know that what's really most important is that we occupy, we, rem- we, we endure, we do what God told us to do until he comes back, whether that's today or tomorrow, or in five years from now, or in ten years from now, or in we're going to be dead and our kids are going to see. It It doesn't matter. God says in his word, occupy until I come. Be ready for me to come, as we read here today. Watch, therefore, is the end. We'll look at that a little later. Watch, therefore, God wants us to be ready, and God wants us to occupy, to maintain, to do the things which he called us to do until He comes. And really, biblically, if we are living the way God wants us to live and doing what He wants us to do, then it doesn't really matter when He comes back. It doesn't really matter when Christ comes back, whether it's in my lifetime, or it's in my son's lifetime, or it's in my grandkids' lifetimes. It doesn't really matter when Jesus comes back as long as we're living and doing the things that God wants us to do. So, Christians, just remember... Bible says, stay busy about your master's business until Christ comes. And keep pushing on, keep pushing forward. So, past this huge point. No one knows, and occupy till you come, or till Jesus comes back. What is the next huge point that Jesus wants to make? Look at verses 37 through 39. Let's read them over quickly again. He says, so no one's going to know that date or time, just my father, but... 37, he gives us some more clues now. He gives us kind of the way it's going to happen. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and then took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be." He parallels the biblical account of Noah and the great flood to his coming. He wants to show them that not only will no created being know the exact date and time of his return, but now he's giving us this whole illustrated picture of this biblical account of the great flood of Noah, so that because he wants to also stress to us the point that not only does no created being know or will know, but that, His return will be unexpected. So a little details about this. Uh, In the midst of this unexpected return, we've got this verse 30. I'm going to break them down just a little bit. He says, as in the days of Noah, we know biblically that not only will his return be unexpected, just like we read here, and no one knows the date nor the time nor the hour, but we also know by this little reference here, as in the days of Noah, This verse is not just an illustration of how his return is going to be unexpected, but it's also an illustration of the sinful condition that the whole of mankind will be living in when he comes back. Uh, Just a little insight into the days of Noah. Genesis 6, 12-13, God says of the evil of mankind before he decided to destroy the earth with a flood. He says, verse verse, uh, 6, or, I'm sorry, chapter 6, Genesis, verses 12 to 13. He says, So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Ooh. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth that is the days of Noah as the God saw them when Noah was alive right before God gave the command to Noah to build the ark and then Noah built the ark and then God destroyed the earth with a flood remember Jesus says because we can parallel this with Matthew 24: 12 he said remember Jesus said of the coming of the end, how we know it's getting closer those signs he says because lawlessness will abound which means sinfulness and sinful actions will overrun the world. So people's sinfulness and their sinful actions will overrun the world, he says. Because of that, the love of many would grow cold. The days of Noah, literally, sinfulness had infiltrated the whole world. And man had corrupted their flesh. That's a whole nother topic, but the sons of God it with the daughters of Eve, which means that actually the fallen angels had started having sex with with human being women. So that's a, whole nother, uh, that's a whole nother topic. We can even look for that too before the coming of the Son of Man. But just just this one point here that the sinfulness overrunning the world will be a, a point of and then the end will come. And then the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah, we see that and, and we see the mindset too. And like we've talked about in the last week's messages the mindset and actions of the majority of people of our world right now are kind of like this we can see that they are scary times that we live in but a a good indication of how close the end really is when we start looking at how sin is abounding and how the evil of man is really running rampant all over the whole world all right back to the unexpected time of Jesus' coming so his coming he says here will be unexpected, like the flood was in Noah's day. But in what way will it be unexpected? Verses 38 and 39 also told us, he, he said that, Just like the worldwide flood, destroying flood, unexpectedly came upon the people of the earth in Noah's day, so to be like that when I come back. So think about this in, in Noah's day. The people of the earth living life like normal marrying giving in marriage eating drinking being you know oh, partying it's a great day oh you know it's just life life is another day of life life like normal eating drinking marrying giving in marriage you know having parties all this stuff so just like that and then pow right the flood came jesus said same as now when i come back people having parties Eating, drinking, not thinking about anything, just living life like normal, and then, wham, I'm coming back. I'm going to come. Now, incredibly, in this scripture, I see another reason to believe that post trib rapture that I spoke about last week. Here, Jesus likens his unexpected coming to be like the unexpected flood of Noah that came and destroyed the world. When you look into some of the details about this unexpected flood... It, although it was unexpected, we see some details that and when how God took Noah out and how Jesus said he's coming to take his kids out. The, the, the idea, when did God save Noah and his family? Because they were the only saved children of God on the earth right before God destroyed the earth with a flood. When did God save Noah from his wrath or the flood? Because that's what his wrath was back then. It was this great flood. When did he do it? Genesis 7-4 tells us that just seven days before God sent the flood on the earth, God saved Noah. Just seven days before the whole flood. Well, you may be thinking, well, Pastor Ed, doesn't seven days that he saved him mean seven years of the Antichrist? No, because guess what? A lot of people don't know this. But it took Noah, from God's command to him to build the ark, to the time that Noah entered the ark to be saved, it took Noah 100 years to build that ark. The Bible records that. Noah was either five or 600 years old when God came to him, and Noah was either six or 700 years when God said, Hey, enter the ark, because in seven days, boom, I'm going to destroy the world and I'm going to save you. Now, think about the days that Noah lived in. Think about those hundred years that it took Noah to build that ark. And then think about Genesis 6, 12 and 13. Remember God had said, All flesh of the earth has corrupted itself, and the sinfulness of human beings is everybody's thoughts are evil, and the whole world is evil. So God allowed Noah to live a hundred years building the ark, in literal life, literal earth, like hell. Then, right before God destroys Noah, or I'm sorry, destroys the world by the flood and all the people in it, God saves Noah and family by the ark and kept him from his wrath or the destruction of the world. Jesus said here, just like in the days of Noah, same with Christ. He will come. He's going to take God's kids and then God's going to send wrath on the world by those bowls of wrath that we read about in, I think it's Revelation 15 or 16. Just some interesting things God's shown me about Christ's coming and the rapture of his kids. Recapping quickly, no created being will know the exact time of Christ's return and it will be unexpected like the flood of Noah's day. Quick point here before we move forward. Okay? I want you to think about something. Although the exact time, hour, and day of Jesus' return are hidden from all created beings, doesn't mean that mankind won't see the signs of the times and know that his return is near. Remember Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branches already become become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also you, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. So Jesus, remember, gave us all those signs to know around about the time he's coming, but no one's going to know the exact time and date that he's coming back. So it's important that we keep focus on that because we may think, well then, Hey, you know, nobody's going to know. it. It's a, it's a secret. No, no, no. Remember, God gave warning and God gave the signs so that we would know the time aboutly, you know, around about that he was coming back, not just be, "Oh, wow, oh, boom, and then it's gone." Cuz God is a warning God. Okay? We also know that 2 Peter 2:5, Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Add these two things together here. It took Noah 100 years to build the ark. Plus Noah was a preacher of righteousness. What does that equal? It equals he was warning them of the destruction that was coming. Uh, no, Noah didn't know the exact time or date or hour that the flood was coming, but know that he was warning he had a hundred years to build the ark as they were probably making fun of him building the ark because he was building the ark in an area where there was no water. There was no ocean for his boat. Okay, People were probably mocking him. And being a preacher of righteousness, he was saying, hey, God's going to destroy everything. And they just thought he was a crazy wacko. Oh, crazy, foolish guy. of oh, God, who is God? He'll destroy everything. Look at that. It's not, it's not going to flood water. It? And some scholars say that it had never even rained up until the time that Noah built his ark. So no rain. The, the boat was built in a non-ocean area. What was Noah building a boat for? Well, of course, Noah was building a boat. People were mocking him. And he was proclaiming God's coming judgment on the world. So although they didn't know exactly when the time of that flood was coming, Noah was preaching righteousness. Turn from your sin, people. Turn to God. Because guess what? That's what a preacher of righteousness does. There's been preachers of righteousness been warning people that the end is near for a long time since Jesus Christ has been resurrected. So we know that although we don't know the exact date or time or hour, we can sure see all the signs that it's getting very, very close. Okay, now that he makes his point of how no created being will know the time of his return and the point of just how unexpected his return will really be to mankind... He gives them some insight on a major detail of his coming. Look at verses 40 and 41. He says, of this coming, it's going to be like this. Here's one of the things that's going to happen when I come. Boom. Verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken in the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken in the other left. He tells them just how he's going to save God's children from God's wrath that's about to hit the world. Noah had the ark, you see. Noah and the ark was almost like a, it it was a foretelling of what Christ was going to do when he came back. Noah, the people, the righteous people of Noah's day, the ark was their salvation. Christ now is the salvation of God's children to those that trust in him when God's wrath is going to come again. Jesus says here, one of the things I'm going to do when I come back, hey, Two people are going to be standing there. One that's God's is going to be taken away. Boom, gone. One that's not God's, bam, going to be left. While the other, the one who doesn't belong to God, is going to be left, being left to face the great bold judgments from God that he's going to send upon the world to destroy and kill everyone on it, just like the flood in Noah's day. Jesus says here the same thing that John sees in the great revelation. Revelation 14, 14 through 20, we see both of these things that Jesus speaks of right here. One taken, one left. Jesus says here, or John sees in Revelation 14, verse 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And on that cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and on his, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. This is Christ coming back. This is the rapture. God pulling off his children off the earth. Uh, While, secondly, verse 17, that another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle, and another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried out with a loud voice to him who had a sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. Now, but listen, he didn't take them away, and he threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Basically, in a sense, what is that great wine press? The earth was going to become a great wine press because God was going to pour out these bowls of judgment just shortly after this, just within a, uh, within one small little chapter after we see God's pouring out these bowls of wrath. So the secondary group, God takes out His children first. He calls another angel. The other angel comes and he binds the people that are on the earth and he makes them stay there. For God's great judgment that He's going to pour out upon the whole world, God carries His kids away or catches them up and leaves the others that aren't His to face God's wrath or judgment. Paul talks on this about this in First Thessalonians four uh, four seventeen. He says, "Then we who are alive and remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord." What a powerful time this will be for both God's children and those that are left behind. It'll be terribly sad for those left behind who refuse to repent of their sins and turn to God. While on the other hand, hand, it'll be extremely exciting for those that are still left upon the earth. In one moment, the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye, God is going to gather us up and we're going to be caught up in the clouds of heaven with jesus instantly taking from this sin-filled world of pollution and evil and we're going to be caught up and transformed right in the air with jesus christ and become new creatures we're going to become have new spiritual bodies we want these these fleshly sinful bodies will all go away all sin all death all pain all plagues all everything every sickness all be gone and we'll get this new body and we'll go up to, to meet with Christ in the air and we'll, we'll follow him from then on, that point on. Now, with what I had just talked about, what Jesus just talked about, it's no wonder why Jesus closes his side, this, uh, closes this subject of the unexpected time of his return the way he does here. Look to verse 42. Watch, therefore. Watch, therefore. Keep your eyes open, people. Be watching. Therefore, why? For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Jesus gives, he starts his close of his unexpected return with the exhortation to them and to us to live lifestyles of watching for his return. Watch, therefore, he says. I feel the power in that. Watch, therefore. Why does he exhort them? Why did he exhort us? Notice, I told you, he gives no time, so they didn't even know if Jesus was coming in their day. And he didn't even lead on to when it was going to be because he was talking to his disciples and he's telling them, watch. Now, they're all dead and long gone into heaven with Jesus. And yet he told them, But he's telling us to watch, therefore. Why would he exhort us and them to watch for his coming? Remember I told you, God says, occupy till I come. See, when you live a lifestyle of watching for him to return, you, you keep a mindset, a certain mindset of his ways. And you do what? You stay mindful of him. If you're watching for his return, you're not sitting back on the couch, ah, you know, my life is supposed to be easy. No, he said, watch, therefore. So we're supposed to be watching, living lifestyles of watching. And the last reason it's important to stay watchful is when you live a life being watchful of his return, you, you think it's important then to stay ready for his return. Cause if you're not watching, then you're not going to stay ready. Cause oh, it's a, it's a far away away off. We're going to read about that next week. The faithful servant and the unfaithful servant. Oh, the unfaithful servant, all oh, the faithful servant. Jesus talks about it. Okay, so living lives being watchful, we stay ready for Christ to return. Look at the example he gives us next to illustrate. Jesus was powerful at illustrating his points because when you illustrate your points you really help your audience to grasp your real meaning behind what you say look at what he says in verse 43 to illustrate this living a watchful lifestyle look at verse 43 but know this he says look at this illustration that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come he would have washed and not allowed his house to be broken into. He uses this idea of a thief coming and breaking into your home. That gets your attention. A thief breaking into my home? Oh, it gets your attention. Notice this illustration, number one, got your attention. This illustration also showed us a new facet of being ready for his return, Notice the illustration is one of us being really physically and mentally prepared for this thief to come. Know therefore this, that if the master house had known what hour the thief had come, so it puts you in your mind, I'm going to get robbed? Well, I better watch. I got to watch. I got I to be ready for that thief to come. He wasn't just giving them another thought here. He was giving them an illustration that would allow them to think, man, I better be physically ready and mentally prepared for the thief to come and break into my house. His illustration gets his point across to me, and I'm sure it did uh, did to them as well, too. It's very clear. Think about this. If you know a robber is coming... You will literally be physically and mentally living an actual watchful lifestyle and watching for that thief so that when that thief comes, you can what? You're ready for him to come. And then you what? You got your shotgun out. No, I'm just kidding. We live in Texas. Then you could be ready to catch him so that he doesn't steal from you and you can stop him perfect illustration of Christ's point. But if they didn't get it with that illustration, if they didn't get it with that picture, he turns then to the idea around to drive home his exhortation to them to be ready for his return in verse 44. Look what he says. Therefore, he brings it all around together. You also be ready. But no, wait. Proves my point here. Bible says, occupy till I come. Jesus knew he wasn't going to come back before these guys died. He's talking to his disciples. He wants us to live lives being ready. You, therefore, verse 44, therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Translation... You need to be actually, literally, living a lifestyle of watching for my return so that you're physically and spiritually ready for me to come back. Even though, guys, you don't know that time. Even though Christians or non-Christians, you it's an unexpected hour. So that you don't literally, his warning and his exhortation to them here, It's really one of such, be watching so that you don't literally get left behind and miss the rapture when I do come back. In our next week or two sermons, we're going to read about two different teachings of Jesus that he gives us to illustrate his points here. So this is a major, major point Jesus is closing this one thought off with and that he's going to open up with to, into two different illustrations on this same idea. You be ready for me to come. Be ready. Be watchful. Recapping his major last point to us today. We must literally get physically and mentally ready for his coming and stay mentally watchful and physically watchful of his coming and be ready for his coming when he does come or else. If we don't live this type of lifestyle, if we say, oh, my master's delayed, is coming. We will be left behind when he comes back. Or if we want to live that type of lifestyle, if we're not even alive then, if we've died until then, then when we get to heaven, we won't hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your Lord. We'll get, what did you do with my master's talents? You buried them and you didn't do anything with them. Hey, take him out And cast them out there with the unbelievers. So we must, Christians, whoever you are that's listening to this message, we must be watching literally and living a lifestyle, literally watching and being ready for His return. Or else we will be left behind when He comes to take us home. So my closing... Everyone listening to this message, my exhortation to you today, we must literally, physically and spiritually be ready for the Master when He comes to take us home. Whether that is at the point when we die, or we still remain until He comes in the clouds to get us, and He sends His angels out to reap the earth of us, and gather us into the air with Him. We need to be ready for Him when He comes, so that we're not left behind to face God's wrath. Now how, you may be asking, how? How can I make sure whether I die first or he comes to get us in the clouds first, how can I be sure that we'll get to be going home with him? How how can we be sure? He says it here. We need to literally stay watchful and ready for his coming no matter what time of history it may be in. What does it mean to live literally alive, watching and ready for his return. What does that mean? I mean, is there any better? of? A, yes, I can just keep watching the heavens and saying, okay, you know, God, you're going to return. But is God saying more to us? Well, of course. Living a watchful and ready lifestyle for Christ to return entails some things. What are they? Well, we need to either start today, if you're not there, or we need to continue, if we are there, we must turn from our sin unto the Lord, first of all. It's called repentance. Turning from our sin and living unto the Lord daily. Or we need to continue or, or, or start surrendering the control of our lives to Him And allow Him to be our Master and our Lord. That's the decision we make either to keep going or to start living your life the way He tells you to live. According not to your own ideas or opinions, but according to His Word. And not in your sinful, natural ways that you live. Easily put, there's a nice easy saying that if you take... Anything away from this sermon, I hope you take this one thing especially away from it. There's multiple things. But this one little thing that God gave me at the very end here that I hope you take with you. Easily put, all these things, repentance and watching, a a lifestyle of watching for the Lord. Here it is. Moment by moment, day after day, live for Him. And not for sin. Moment by moment, day after day, live for Him and not for sin. Easily put. That's repentance in a nutshell. That's number one. And moment by moment, day after day, we must let go, Christians, people. God's in control, guys. We must let go of every concern and worry totally and completely and utterly put our trust in Jesus for everything and in every situation and in every time of our life and in every catastrophe or every earthquake or every loss of a family member or every loss of a job, no matter what you got going on in your life, one of the most important things you can do is just put your trust in Jesus And verbally tell him that every day. Jesus, no matter what, I know I got all these things, and you can tell him all those things. I got this, 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 that, and the other. But Jesus, I know one thing. You created me. You're in control. I'm going to trust in you no matter what. Trust in him in your life as a two-year-old infant. Trust in mom and dad and has no concern about anything else. Think about it. A two-year-old infant driving in the car with mommy and daddy in the front seat, have no care in the world. They don't worry one iota. Not one moment do they think to themselves, are we gonna get there okay? (gasps) Oh no, I wonder if we're gonna get there okay. Not once. A little two-year-old in the back seats playing with his toy he fully trusts and doesn't think a second thing about it, that mommy and daddy got, are in the front seat, they're driving, and they're going to get them there. Okay, this is the trust that God wants from us. This is the trust that God wants from us. And if you think that this is just my spin, maybe, or how I think we should be ready for you know, him to come to take us home or him to come to save us, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, repent, and take up his cross and follow me. Do the things I say. Follow my words. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Complete surrender and trust unto God. Whoever desires to save his life must lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Total surrender unto God. And so, God promises you today, May 17, 2015, if you live this type of watchful lifestyle of his unexpected return, you will not go to hell when you die or be left behind when He returns. So, moment by moment, day after day, live for Him and not for sin. If you're not there, I pray you get there. And if you're there, I pray that you stay there. For Jesus says, Matthew twenty four thirteen. we just read it over a week or two ago, it's only He who endures to the end that shall be saved. So, Put it this way. It's not those that begin well with the Lord that are saved. Oh, but I came to the Lord at youth camp. Oh, I came to the Lord at some... Oh, I got saved. Hallelujah. Oh, praise you, Jesus. I'm good to go for good. No, no, no. It's not those that begin well with God that are saved. It's those that end well with God that are saved. So if you're not there, please, my exhortation is get there because whether you die first or Christ comes to get you first, you will stand before God one day and he will judge you. And if you are there, fight the good fight of faith and stay there and stay there diligently and surrender more every day. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word today. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that your words of exhortation to us today, Lord, Lord, you want everybody to go. But Lord, not many will be ready. I just pray, Lord God that this message will go forth throughout the whole world. and Lord, I pray that if people are listening and they're not ready, they're not living a watchful lifestyle they're not living a lifestyle ready for you to return living a lifestyle of repentance living a lifestyle of complete trust living a lifestyle not living for their living a lifestyle living for themselves and for their sin lord that they would repent and that they would turn to you that they would turn unto you lord from their sin and they would decide to follow after you lord you're coming back someday and although we don't know the exact day nor time or hour you're coming back Lord, we know you're coming back someday, and I trust that you will, whenever that is. Lord, I pray those listening, if they're yours, that they would stay affixed on you, their eyes affixed on you. They would stay watchful. They would stay ready. They would stay fervently in love with you. They would stay in fervent repentance and unto trusting in you every moment of every day and doing the things you told them to do. And Lord, for those that are not yours, I pray salvation. Lord, I pray repentance. I pray that they would hear this exhortation, hear this warning, Lord God, and know that you're coming back or they will die soon, whichever. But Lord, knowing that they'll stand before you, Lord, and if they're not living a watchful lifestyle, Lord, I pray you bring them to repentance right now and turn them to you. Turn them to you, Lord God, away from their sin and unto you. I love you and I praise you, dear God, and I thank you. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today, to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.